It's Travers Week at Saratoga, and nobody has you covered better than Naira Betts. New Naira Betts players can join today and get a sign-up bonus of up to $200 with promo code REWIND. Head on over to NairaBets.com today, sign up with the promo code REWIND, and earn your $200 bonus today. Perfect timing for Travers Weekend. With Naira Betts, you can bet and watch any track, anywhere, anytime. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome to episode 46 of Redboard Rewind. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. Today, my special guest is one of my favorite follows on Twitter. It's Marshall Graham. Me and Marshall go over races 7, 9, and 10 from last Saturday's Whitney Card at Saratoga. And some angles that we go over are, was the Allen Jerkins a weak race? How looking through the condition book can make you a better player? And where should and probably be in the classic rankings? This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Marshall Graham. Marshall, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on, Spencer. It's it's funny. When I was talking to PTF last week, we uh, went out for uh, breakfast last Wednesday. First time I've seen Pete in a long time. I said, I need a guest. And he was like, Marshall Graham? And I'm like, perfect. Can we line that up? He was like, absolutely. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Well, I'm glad to come on. I was worried uh, in, the, in the middle of uh, last Saturday's card at Saratoga, I was getting skunked and going nowhere. And... Uh, was worried I was going to come in and, and talk about the tales of woe of being completely wrong, but I ended up having an okay day. And so, uh, again, probably either way, it's fun to, to talk and go through some races at you bet. But I'm glad uh, I'm glad it was one of my uh, better days that we'll be discussing. It's it's always weird when I look at an overall card. There's some days that I feel I if I don't get off to a good start, like the early pick five, the first couple of races. I usually tend to just be cold the whole day compared to some other players I know who they might be awful in the first part of the car, but then they hit fire in the back half. Do you ever feel like you kind of have like a streakiness about you when you're looking at the races? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I definitely, the, the losing wears on me. And so I do sort of remember the, the sort of losing streaks more than, than the times where I've bailed myself out the end of cars where I've gotten hot. I tend to now be more of a spot player. So it's, 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 Rare that I'll sit down and play an entire card. I ended up playing the Naira Bet contest um, on uh, Saturday, and so that uh, contest is a $2,500 bankroll, and uh, it required 10 $250 bets. And so it really requires you to play the whole card. And so it, it was something different than I'm usually accustomed to. Usually I find the two or three races I want to play, um, and I bet them. Um, I, I have been, you know, I'll play a pick four, pick five when I like particular like the sequence but it, it it's just it's rare when i sit down from the front end to the back end and I'm playing all or most races that's the one thing i've really been trying to change about the way i approach the game it used to be that uh, that i would just grind away especially on uh, on days where i had less the less i had going on the more i'd tend to degen away so i've really tried to sort of focus on spot playing and I've even gotten to the point where if I don't really like a race but know that I need the action that I'll bet two dollars or five dollars um, just to get my juices flowing and then uh, again 
save the real powder for when I have an opinion. What uh, is there a certain race type, you know, claiming, allowing, stake races that really you uh, you enjoy playing or one that you feel like you have an advantage over with, with maybe a positive ROI? I don't know how much you keep track of your stats, and et cetera. Well, I do think that, that, you know, we think of all the time about trainers being specialists or jockeys being specialists. I do think that betters are probably specialists as well. I don't know that we like to think of ourselves as specialists, but there's certain areas that, that you're going to be better as a player and certain areas that you're not going to know as well. For me, um, you know, I like long dirt races. I like dirt routes, and I like dirt racing overall. Um, I, I tend not to have a real clue about turf racing. I won't just totally pass turf races, but it's, you know, probably, um, you know, if I look at my betting over the course of the year, probably 15%, 10 to 15% is allocated towards turf races. And so I just generally avoid turf racing. I don't understand turf racing. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it's just, there hasn't really been much written on how to handicap turf racing. I don't know that speed figures mean as much. Um, I don't know the extent that pace figures mean as much, except for the sort of late, uh, you know, late pace, late turn of foot. And I think chip matters, and I'm not great at watching videos. So turf racing is an area that I don't, I don't have a strong feel for. So again, I'm a, I'm a dirt, dirt player. That's why you know this year Oakland Park. Uh, this coronavirus Oakland Park was maybe my favorite meet I've ever been a part of. We had huge fields. We had lots of uh, uh, route races, um, competitive racing. And again, it, um, while everything else was going on uh, very negative, and certainly the horse owner was, was no fun at that time. I, I just as a horse player, um, April, at o- April and May at Oakland was, uh, was phenomenal. A hundred percent. Something that J.K. always says, or for past recency, was any horses coming out of Oakland, he was uh, giving a couple extra points to because the meet was so contentious. I'm looking back on my bookshelf now. Really, one of the only turf books I, I think I've read was uh, an old DRF publishing book called Go for the Green. I can't see the author right now, but that book I think I found on Amazon for like five dollars. Let's talk about you talked about ownership. I know obviously you're a big part of Ten Strike Racing. When looking at a condition book, I feel like it's something that a horse player doesn't do well enough. They, they might see a horse uh, uh, usually on the dirt, now is on the turf, but doesn't have a pedigree, and they're just like, oh, why would the trainer be so dumb and put this horse on there? Whereas maybe he tried to get the horse back on the dirt, but the race didn't fill, so they just ended up on the turf. What are some niches you think you've found from being an owner and knowing that you have to look at the condition book so well? Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. I would say that before I owned horses, I didn't have a sense of the condition condition book i was very much driven by pace and speed figure but the claiming ranks conditions really matter horses dropping uh, from 25 uh you know from 25 to 12 5 that's a big jump horses moving from uh, having cleared their conditions to open that's a significant jump as well and uh you look at some of the hard knocking nickel claimers that tracks those tend to be some of the, the better horses on the ground and so um, I've learned, especially as a guy who's been involved in claiming horses, that you've got to be very aware of the conditions. You've got to sort of respect uh, the horses uh, um, that are dropping in and the intent of the trainer. And so I think that matters. I think what you're talking about races going and and how often the trainers or owners don't get the particular races they want. And I think the more choices we have, the trickier it is to get the correct spots. And I'll give you this example. At Oakland, there are basically three distances six furlongs, 
a mile and a mile and a sixteenth, and it's all dirt. And so there aren't many choices. And so I actually had an easier time getting races to go in the spring at Oakland when I knew what I was dealing with than I have than I have than I am right now. I have a a filly who's a cheap non-winners of two life going long, and I can't get a race to fill. And so you know what do we end up doing with a horse like that? We end up maybe entering for a mile at Ellis Park, which is really around one and a half turns, which is too short. Um, we may end up going on the turf, and she's not really a turf horse. And so sometimes you end up having to go in races you don't want because you don't quite fit the distance or don't quite fit the condition uh, that you that you would like looking for, your, looking for horses. And so I do think that that's something to look at. What is a horse's optimal distance? What's the right condition for this horse? And are they in that spot today? that fits or are they basically, you know, in a race where the, the trainer or owner had to, um, you know, had the audible because their race didn't go. I, th- I think that people, when they're looking through the PPs now, you look back a couple of weeks, uh, horologist now five for five at Monmouth Park, big horse for course angle there. Uh, certain horses, me personally teaching uh, my girlfriend how to handicap, she's very impertinent with the distance. If a horse hasn't ran a big number at the distance, she tends to shy away from those. And it's something that maybe I haven't thought of as much being an older handicapper. Maybe I have to let that slide down the pole a little bit in my process. When you think of a horse and you're you're trying to get them on the right distance or the right surface and the race doesn't go, do you kind of look at it as, I can't keep the horse in the barn for another three weeks. We'll, we'll put the horse out in the turf and hope that at least we can get a placing of top three, or is it just kind of you're trying to keep them mentally, you know, not just stuck in the barn for six months? Well, I mean, you have to, you have to remember that every, um, you know, every month in training is going to cost you three, four grand, mm-hmm. right? And so every, every, every day costs you money. And so it's something to weigh. Do you go into a race where you might, you know, might not have a chance to even hit the board if you can't finish second or third, you're not going to pay your, uh, you're not going to pay your three weeks for that horse. And so, you know, it's a real trade-off, right? You wait for the next spot. Uh, do you sort of look for a different track to run at? I mean, this winter we faced problems where we had horses that were doing well in training, but there was only one place to run, and that was Oakland. So we shipped horses down to Oakland to run, um, even though it was, uh, you know, it cost a lot of money to ship, and the races were really competitive. So, I mean, that's a really tricky question. You go horse by horse um, and sort of, you know, think about risk-reward involved. I do think, I mean, the distance, and even distance and number of turns matters. I think that, uh, you know, Belmont, the route races are one turn. So a mile, a mile 16th at one turn is vastly different than the two-turn mile and eighth at Saratoga. Two-turn mile and eighth dirt race at Saratoga is my favorite race in the country. I will claim horses um, with the intention on running in that spot. Um, uh, I claimed a horse last year named Lucky Move uh, uh, at at um in the spring and uh to win an air again uh, going long at Saratoga going a mile late. So, you know, I'll look for pedigree, look for horses that can really handle this into it's very long, it's very demanding. It plays a lot it plays a lot more like a mile three sixteenth race as compared to the two turn races, for example, at Churchill Downs or at Oaklawn. And so that's a distance I really like. It's a real test of stamina. Um, and, uh, and I think pedigree matters and, uh, you know, it's one of the things I enjoy most about the Saratoga meet. And, uh, when you have a horse that excels at that distance, they get back to Belmont and it's a struggle, um, because it's one turn and then you get to Aqueduct 
and they generally write one-turn miles as opposed to two-turn mile mates for their route races. And so, you know, you have this window of seven weeks where you can hopefully find your spots if those races go. Now, unfortunately, fortunately, it's harder and harder to find those spots, especially for Phillies and Mares. For whatever reason, they just don't like me route races for Phillies and Mares. Heck, they don't even have a, grade, uh, a graded stakes that's longer than a mile and eighth for Phillies and Mares. And I remember if you look back, uh, you know, if you look back 25 years ago, uh, um, there were a lot of races for Philly and Bears that, that were along the distance. The coaching club American Oaks was a mile and a half. The Breeders' Cup this half is initially a mile and a quarter. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just it's disappointing because those route races don't exist. Uh, we were exchanging them for Turf Spring. And, uh, you know, as an owner and as a horse player, it's something that, uh, that uh, you know, I, I don't enjoy. But, you know, again, maybe, maybe other people, uh, maybe they like the direction of, of turf sprints and turf racing. He's still on. <laughs> what do you think, obviously, as you grow as a horse player, you build your process up, what was the biggest change when you finally got into ownership that you think you made with your process? Well, I think, um, I mean, the one thing about ownership is it will teach you to be patient. So uh, if you own a racehorse, uh, um, you know, just the excitement of even enter, if talking about entering a race, then you enter the race, and then you wait for the morning line to come up, and then you wait to see, uh, you wait to see them talk about your horse on talking horses, hopefully, and then, you know, and then you watch the race, and then you uh, deconstruct the race. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long process for these events that occur, I don't know, once a month. Um, and then, you know, often horses are injured and go on the shelf, and then, you know, you have to, it's uh, um, it's even a longer process. Again, you're talking about each work, and so it, it, it really requires lots of patience. And so I think that, you know, taking that patience to being a horse player has made a difference in my play because it used to be that um, if there was, a, you know, if there was a race at Saratoga, I was playing it, and I would focus on playing, you know, every race, every, every card, almost every race, um, and, uh, a couple of years ago, I played, um, uh, I think it was 2018. I played all of Oaklawn and all of Saratoga and I just got destroyed. I mean, I was losing, mm-hmm. um, at a 40% rate, I was losing far worse than takeout. Um, and I was playing every pick five and it quickly came to realize that just, I can't, I can't force myself to have an opinion on every race. I was doing all the work when we went as far as hiring a private clocker at Oaklawn and it just, it, um, it wasn't working. And so I found that less is more. And I think I take that, you know, that's something I take from the patience required as an owner. And obviously the other factors, the condition books, I do think, again, horses condition, uh, where the, you know, the spots that they're running in condition claimers, what does that mean relative to open claimers? How do we differentiate those levels? I think that matters as well. So those are the two biggest aspects of ownership I've taken to, um, uh, to betting. Let's, move along with the betting. Let's start talking about the races from this past weekend at Saratoga. Let's start with race number seven. It was a maiden special weight going one and one sixteenth mile on the melon turf course. Marshall, how'd you start off in this race and what were your thoughts? Well, I, um, again, I was playing the, the contest and my goal was to basically preserve my bankroll until my big opinions in the Whitney and the HL and Jerkins. And so this wasn't really a race I was looking at. I talked to a, a buddy of mine, um, Clay Sanders, who, who, who won the, uh, he's my 
the co-founder of Ten Strike Racing, and he won the NARA contest on Sunday. So we had a pretty good uh, weekend between the two of us. But um, he called me and, and mentioned the sports modern science for Ian Wilk, uh, you know, how good the first race, his first race was at uh, Ellis Park, and uh, said, I have to go back and watch the video. And usually when someone calls me and says, hey, you got to go watch a replay, means I don't have to watch the replay because they've done the work. They have a better eye than I do. If they see something, then then I'm willing to run with it. Uh, again, so you know, I tried to uh, you know basically uh, move a little, you know, move the ball down the field a little bit with uh, uh, with modern science, and uh, um, the horse got bet. The horse ended up being favorite, so wasn't uh, uh, you know wasn't uh, the seven to two that you were getting in the morning line. Um, the horse is bet first out for Ian Wilk. So that was, you know, the horse is 5-2 in the, in the first out. I know the race is at Ellis Park, but still, first Ian Wilk is not a, a big number, and I don't think of Ian Wilk on the turf. But you have a Galileo, an expensive Galileo, and, um, uh, you know, the horse ran well. Uh, I just think ran to a, a you know, well-meant first turf. For me, when I started looking at this race, all I saw were the big turf pedigrees all over the place. Uh, King of Miami out of Pharaoh. Modern Science, Galileo, like we had said. Uh, also, that horse had a uh, big trip note on turf on trip note pros from Benny South Street. Uh, the number 10, Habitus, out of Kitten's Joy. And you just kind of see, like, all these major turf predators. And I just kept getting drawn to uh, the number 6, Shawty, 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 out of Summerfront. 16% is an overall turf sire. 16% is pretty darn good when you look at the sire stats. I feel like people just see Pharaoh when they, they know it's 18 to 20%. Sometimes they just forget about those solid sires that just hit a, a decent percentage every year. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's right, and and uh, um, you know, uh, Georgie Brain can get the job done with uh, with horses. I mean, he he, he worked for Chad Brown uh, for many many years as his top assistant. So I mean, that was a you know definitely you know definitely looked like a stack race going into it, and so uh, um, you know, uh, and that was the horse that Shawnee 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 was the horse that was taking money. Mm-hmm. Right, so of the first years, that was the horses taking money. So you know, nice pedigrees. Um, uh, you know, look like a pretty good race on paper for me as well. Kind of when you look at the other horses, this this race kind of seemed to me like it was going to be one of the big sire horses. Everyone else's kind of seemed to be a step behind. When you look at a horse like the number seven, King of Miami, first race is on a muddy uh, muddy sealed track, runs second. But when you see that it's out of American Fair, are you still one that would? jump up a horse on the turf for fair, or do you think that it, in the long run it'll end up evening out and he might actually end up with some decent dirt runners as well? Um, I, you know, I think he's been successful on both. And so, you know, I, I mean, right now, um, you know, right now I think he's deadly on both surfaces. And uh, in terms of stretching out to a mile in the 16th here, um, I love the asleep Alex underneath. And so, yeah, I thought this horse, I mean, when I was designing my tickets, I thought of modern science over King of Miami somehow, using King of Miami in second and third, kind of king that horse in second and third as being the sort of maybe logical horse underneath, um, you know, stretching out for Wesley Ward when their intention was to get that horse on the turf altogether. And so, um, yeah, I I thought that was, you know, I thought that was the most interesting horse that was taking modern science uh, over King of Miami in second and third, and using Shoddy, 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 and Habitat in the um, in the second spot with King of Miami in third um, uh, for the try. And again, it uh, it turned out to be a, a different outcome, but uh, 
I mean, those, I think, you know, I think those four horses uh, have a future. For me, in the Daily Gallop Handicapping Head-to-Head Contest, it was number six, Shorty, Shorty, Shorty. This horse actually ended up being my best bet of the day. Let's hear who wins this very strong maiden special weight from Saratoga right now. And they're off. Hesitant beginning for number four, Lease, and he is at the back of the pack. Explain is going out for the lead. On the extreme outside is Barano. Now Bustin Bieber moves up as the field goes into the turn. It is Explain with the lead here. And Bustin Bieber runs in second. Barano's on the outside in third. And then King of Miami is next in fourth. A little more than a length to Shorty, Shorty, Shorty and Habitus. And then we come back to Modern Science, followed by Sol Del Sur, Flight to Paradise, and the slow-starting Lease. The two-year-old maidens are moving up the backstretch after a quarter in 23 and two-fifth seconds. Explain leads here by three-quarters of a length. Big long shot, Bustin Bieber runs in second. Another long shot, Barano's on the outside in third. A gap of four. Back to a King of Miami, who races in fourth. Shorty, Shorty, Shorty is in fifth, followed by Habitus in sixth. Modern Science is on the outside in seventh. Sol de Sur down at the rail and at the back, Flight to Paradise. And lease the half mile in 48 seconds, and it is still explain the one to catch, explained by a half length. Bustin Bieber in second, Barano on the outside in third, King of Miami is next in fourth. Habitus begins to pick it up on the far outside from fifth. Then it's Shorty, 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 and Modern Science, followed by Flight to Paradise and Sol de Sur with Lease. Three quarters in 113 and two, and the field is in the stretch. Room on the inside for King of Miami. On the outside, it is Habitus. Shorty, Shorty, Shorty is now coming on. And on the outside, it is Modern Science. Here is Modern Science, right alongside of Shorty, Shorty, Shorty. They come down for the finish. Shorty, Shorty, Shorty by a half length. And the number six, Shorty, 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 gets it done, paying fourteen twenty. The buyer only came back a 61. Thoughts on the race after the fact, Marshall? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was disappointed in the buyer's speed figure. Now, I don't know enough about how they make turf figures. I know that, that Nair Circuit is a tough place to make figures altogether. Um, so, you know, let's say that the figure is a little bit worrisome. You know, I did think that, um, that, uh, you know, I did, you know, I was impressed with Shotty, Shotty, Shotty. I was impressed with his turn of foot. I think coming out of this race, you know, one of the narratives will be, well, modern science ran 26 feet further. Habitus ran nearly 50 feet further and Habitus, uh, made a little bit of an early move. Um, you know, at the top of the stretch around the turn, but I just thought the way Shotty, Shotty, Shotty kicked on and uh, and sort of did it in a very sort of easy, athletic way between horses was very impressive. So, um, you know, my take on modern science is that he may be a bit more of a grinder. I know that he had a wide trip. I know he was coming from pretty far back. Um, you know, I thought if he had the talent, especially given that the number came back as a 61, he should have been able to, to get the job done here. I just wonder with that breeding, is he going to be a horse that we, you know, really see most effective going a mile and a quarter or a mile and a half, you know, later in their career? I, I don't see, you know, I could be totally wrong, but it, it's hard to see modern science being a Breeders' Cup juvenile turf type. 
Um, and, and I'm not sure, maybe again, maybe the number indicates that none of these forces are, 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 are that caliber. Um, it's still early in the year and still a lot uh, of racing to be, uh, to be seen. Habitus, I thought was interesting. Um, again, was very wide, um, moved, moved a little bit early. I started trying to kick early. So I think that's another one to be optimistic about as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see these three going forward. Um, my guess is that a lot of people's uh, con- conclusions will be that modern science and habitus are the horses to have out of this race. But I'm going to I'm going to say Shaw, I, I'm going to say that the best horse won. I just like the way that this course kicked clear. Um, I like the fact that that uh, he did this as a thirster um, and showed again real turn of foot. Um, uh, a real sort of athletic turn of quick turn of foot, a horse that sort of is going to be most effective at a mile, mile 16. So I would say that, 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 uh, that he has the best future of the three in the short term. I think this is a really good race to kind of teach people about when they're betting the top four were the top four choices in the betting. You were getting, you know, five to two on Habitus and King of Miami. Modern science actually got bet down to two to one. And then Shawty, Shawty, Shawty was about three times the price at six to one, and I it, it's just it's that results mentality. People don't want to lose multiple races in a row. So even if Shawty, Shawty, Shawty was like their third or fourth pick, it probably resembled the most value. A lot of people still go ahead and they bet Habitus, King of Miami. When you look at that from a wagering standpoint, are you the type of person who can take a, a couple of races and like you know lose four or five in a row before you can get a winner, or do you like to have that kind of what JK calls you know ball through the hoop mentality where you got to get you know as many right in a row as possible? Well, I mean, I I tend to be you know I tend to be a win better, and I tend to uh, you know when I start losing, it tends to be tough psychologically. So mm-hmm. you know that's why I have you know avoided. Pick fives, for example, because they can be very detrimental. So at least, um, you know, if your question is about sort of my betting behavior, I, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to put the ball through the hoop, right? Uh, you know, I get reinforcement from that, uh, and so you know, as a win better, I think that my hit rate is just better. It doesn't mean I won't pick long shots. It's just that, you know, in, in these sort of more challenging multiple sequences, your probability of winning is really low. Uh, it can be really heartbreaking when you do uh, lose. And so, uh, you know, I tend to, I tend to be a win better. And I, I, you know, I tend to be a chalk player often, you know, if the, if the, if the price is still right and it's from a value standpoint. I tend to agree with you. I don't think people, I think people just try to avoid the chalk as much as possible, but you can play lower priced horses as long as you're hitting at the right percentage. If you're, if you're only hitting one in five, you're going to lose in the long run. But if you can hit that three out of five, you know, four out of five at a decent two to one, five to two price, you're going to make money in the long run. Yeah. No, and I agree. Look, you know, if you're hitting horses at a 20% rate, 20% rate, and you're playing long shots, um, you will have some prolonged period of losing. I think that can be very taxing mentally. Uh, I have a tendency to chase. Um, and so, you know, for me, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm just better off finding the two or three or four horses I like. Um, on a, on a given race card, betting them to win, maybe playing some exactness, maybe trying to make a nice score, um, you know, versus trying to set myself up for a low probability, high reward event. And I admire people who can do that. I admire people who can play the pick five day after day after day, um, and, and wait and play it, uh, for the giant score, right? I'm unable to do that. It doesn't fit my betting personality. 
let's jump into the into a race that you were super excited about. It's race number nine from Saratoga. It was the Grade One Whitney, going one and one eighth miles on the dirt. And let me tell you, Marshall, I I saw the talk on social media. Five horse field gets announced, and you can just see the hate rain down from social media. I don't know what else people could want out of this race. Four of the five horses were in everyone's top ten for the classic. No one decided to dodge everyone for once. What else can you get from this race? Yeah, I don't have a problem with this race. Uh, it's it, five horse fields, a very competitive field. Um, I think that that you had three of the top five players in the division mm-hmm. um, in improbable code of honor and Tom Zeta. I think by my standards, is just out of the top five. And I think Mr. Buff was a you know is a is a horse that has big you know big speed figures. Um, that he earned over the winter is a is a tough, honest horse, and uh, um, and, and you know again, fit in this group as well, and he's going to have something to say about the pace of the race. So I was, you know, I thought this is this is fine. I mean, I'm I, I'm fine with you know, I, I don't love a five horse field, but if you're going to have a five horse field, this is what you want, right? Mm-hmm. This is a very competitive race. We're seeing the top horses in the division. Um, I think it's one of the you know two or three best races of the year in terms of the quality of the field. Um, and so I was very excited about it. I was excited to see, I was excited to see how the public is going to bet this race. I was excited to see how the race is going to be run. I think ultimately how the race is run was really disappointing because I don't think we got really any great conclusions from it, but I was really excited about it. Um, I am a Tom's day top fan. I think he's the best horse in training. I thought, you know, this race is so far this year. Um, uh, uh, really going back through the last year in the Fed and the Clark, as Oakland Mile was very impressive, um, and uh, and you know Stephen Foster ran a big number, and uh, again was uh, was was never going to be beat that day. So I, I just I think in my mind he was the the top horse in the division, likely Breeders' Cup Classic um, winner, and um, and so he was my bet. I was. You know, my, I was against Code of Honor. Um, Code of Honor did close very well in the Met in the Met Mile. I thought, uh, you know, that somewhat worried me in terms of how he would be ridden. I thought he might not be ridden aggressively enough, given the way he closed in the Met Mile. There's, despite the fact that the, you know the pace was slower, um, this would be a scenario where he's stretching out from a mile to a mile and eighth. And that's a, lo- a large stretch out if you think about going from the one-turn mile of Belmont to the mile and eighth, a long count mile and eighth. I've already talked about it, Saratoga. And so I was worried about his ability to, to, to have a right kick. I've never bought into the narrative, really maybe until this race, uh, until the conclusion of this race, that he was not a uh, router. But, um, but, you know, that also, you know, especially in, when we look back on it, I think may have played a role as well. So, so I played a, a straight... Five to exacto, straight times they tie to improbable. Um, I thought improbable would would hang just off Mr. Buff um, with times they tie right behind him and probably get the first jump and then times they got would wear him down in the stretch and get the win. And um, uh, you know I played it in the contest I was in. I played twelve hundred dollars straight exacto five two, and I uh, felt very confident about it. Um, I also played on my other tickets a double of Tom Zeta into Echo Town in the uh, jerking. I was going to play uh, an improbable into Echo Town double. I got really nervous about improbable 
right up till the post time. So I was always very curious to see how they were going to bet this race. And I thought it could go a number of different directions. Um, you know, I figured Tom Zotai would be the favorite, but I didn't know who'd be second choice. I do know that they love to bet Shug, and, and there's always been lots of talk about Code of Honor. Um, what surprised me was how dead on the board Improbable was early mm-hmm. on in the betting. Now, ultimately, he ended up paying eight fifty, right? Um, and so he ended up going at you know off at three point two five to one, which is exactly what he projected. He projected to go off at three point two to one from the double, but he opened up at nine to two. It was nine to two and four to one in a lot of the betting. It was just unusual for a backward horse not to get bet coming back east, and so um, uh, and so that really. Unnerved me. I just I remember, and again, this is bad to sort of relate this to just one event from the past to pull it from one result. But um, I bet McKinsey uh, enthusiastically in the Saudi Cup, and for whatever reason, McKinsey was dead on the board. It made no sense to me. I thought he was the overwhelmingly the best horse in that race. He was not getting bet. I just continued to plow money into him, and he didn't run at all. And so I, I got worried about what the quote unquote they no, and um, you know I know improbable is a is a horse that uh, um, you know can be you know have gait issues, but he was training phenomenally. I thought his Gold Cup was you know uh, everything you could ask for. You know I did think he really turned the page from his two year old year. You could see that in the Oakland Mile. He ran great in the Oakland Mile, wide most of most of the way from the eleven hole going one mile in Oakland with that short stretch. And so, um, it, you know, to me, I couldn't get how tepid he was on the board. Now, again, ultimately, he converged down to 3.25 to 1. But that made me nervous. I kept with my exacta. I ended up not doing the double. I got um, a little bit of cold feet on that. Um, and, of course, uh, um, he ran David one. For me, this is kind of like – it was a weird race for me overall. I, Tom Satach seemed to be the most consistent horse in the world – I didn't like that he was coming out of a blue fraction race, but with the 109 buyer, you think maybe it's a little bit inflated, so he probably ran back around his, you know, Fayette or his Clark, which is a 105 or a 106. Mr. Buff, obviously, was just going to be a big part of the pace. To me, Code of Honor just is always the most overhyped horse in every single race he enters in. I don't know why. He uh, obviously ran two back-to-back 100 buyers again the last time he did that. It was the Breeders' Cup Classic. He bounced, quote-unquote. Maybe the field was just too tough. And then he came right back with his nice one in the Westchester. And then the third against Facoma and Network Effect. To me, Improbable is just the black sheep of the family of the Classic Division. People don't know what to do with the horse. All he's done so far when he came out this year was run right behind what we say is the top leader in Tom Zittat and won and win a grade one in the Gold Cup. I, I was kind of stuck. I didn't really know where to go. I ended up, in the end, going on Tom Zittat. My second choice... By my standards, has had a heck of a year so far. He's the type of horse that seems to be improving with every race and might not win another race down the road or might not be able to you know, have that nice, flashy win. But this horse could be a price-come-classic day, maybe you know, 8, 10 to 1, and can really fill out some exotics for people. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that uh, again, you know, by my standards, is the overlooked horse in this group here. And, um, um, you know, I... I you know, I still think he's a cut below uh, the top two, but um, but um, you know, again, I, you know, he, he was five and a half to one. I think that's about right, and and, and um, 
you know, I think that's what made it such a compelling race is that there were so many different directions to go and there are pieces that could be made uh, for a lot of these different horses. And, you know, look, I think it played out uh, a lot of the way I envisioned it, except for the fact that times they tied broke poorly. And, uh, you know, the pace was slow. I just don't, I don't know ultimately what conclusions we can draw from this. But, um, uh, you know, it's why it's exciting that we'll get to see these horses, you know, run back at least roll once in the Breeders' Cup Classic and, and uh, you know, maybe another time in one of the preps. Let's see if Marshall can get his exact at home or if I can get Tom's data home in the Whitney right now. And they're off. Oh, and Tom's Data stumbled at the start and is trailing the field. Tom's Data, the favorite, is fifth as the field goes into the clubhouse turn. And the early leader here will be Mr. Buff. Mr. Buff is on top with improbable racing in second. By my standards is next in third. Then Code of Honor. And after that beginning, Tom's Data is the trailer in fifth. It's New York bred Mr. Buff. The leader here by almost two lengths. The quarter, 25 seconds. It's a slow pace here with Improbable, the California Invader, giving chase in second. By my standards is next and third. Two and a half lengths to Code of Honor and two and a half more to Tom's Data. And now the field is midway up the back stretch, and it is long shot Mr. Buff in front here by a length. Improbable runs in second. Then by my standards, next and third. Farther back it is Code of Honor. And Tom's Data continues to race last with a half mile in 49 and 3. Mr. Buff will lead the field into the far turn. Improbable has been tracking the entire way and is now getting closer. So it's Mr. Buff and Improbable. The two of them are right together. By my standards is just in behind in third. Code of Honor is fourth. Three lengths from the lead. And Tom's Data. Three quarters went in one thirteen and one. Mr. Buff gives way. And Improbable is the leader as the field comes into the stretch. Then it is by my standards. Mr. Buff, Code of Honor and Tom's Data. It's Improbable in front inside the eighth pole. Improbable has built a four-length lead. By my standards, Tom's Data, Code of Honor, it's Improbable, and a Rod Ortiz Jr. to win the Whitney. By my standards was second, a tough luck third for Tom's Data, Code of Honor was fourth, and the time was one minute, 48 and three-fifths seconds. And the number two, Improbable, gets it done, paying 850 with a buyer of 106 this was definitely a race that I wasn't expecting, Marshall. Obviously, the bad break from Tom's to Tot kind of makes this race a throwout for him, and now we don't know what could have been, but a nice run from Improbable nonetheless. Yeah, Improbable ran big. I think, uh, you know, once Tom's to Tot broke poorly, I mean, it, it just, at that point, Improbable looked like, the way he was moving early, looked like he was 3-5. to five. And when that case figure came up, he was probably 1-5. to five. You know, I'm, I'm somewhat surprised that, that Mr. Buff didn't, you know, I guess, you know, when you're worried about the distance, um, you know, and the horse, it, it, it quit pretty badly in the suburban, you, you know, you try to hold your horse and, and, uh, and, and maybe take it a little bit slower. And, uh, you know, I, if I were, um, you know, if I, if I were Mr. Buff's connections, I would have wanted him to go and to push the pace a little bit more um, and to get out there running and, uh, and, and try to take them off their feet. Um, uh, instead of sort of, you know, just leaving it right there so it probably can ride off this flank and make the move at the top of the stretch. But either way, you know, I think the con- it's hard to draw conclusions from this race. 
Um, you know, they ran so early, they came home uh, fairly fast. Uh, you know, you have uh, uh, Improbable by my standards and Tom Zeta all did that last quarter in under 24 seconds. You know, I think that Tom Zeta had an excuse. I mean, I, I certainly would just draw a line through through this through the race for him. I don't. I, I wouldn't say wouldn't go as far as to say he would have won. Otherwise, um, I do think it's it's worth noting that I mean he. He showed a lot of resolve, uh, came home in, in uh, uh, a fifth of a second faster than improbable, uh, came home in 23.41, which is pretty fast. Um, and, uh, and again, was really closing in on Bayern standards for, um, for second. I, I think Cotavano was a huge disappointment. I mean, I, I now uh, will buy into that narrative that Cotavano may be a miler, right? That the mile may be his best distance. He may be a one-turn horse. Um, he just was really flat. He was really flat coming home, uh, um, and uh, you know, you know, made a, you know, made it look like it would be a threatening move towards the top of the stretch and flattened out. And um, and so he's the horse that that I would be disappointed in coming out of this race. Um, and uh, and um, again, I think ultimately hard to draw any conclusions from here from this race in terms of you know how we separate improbable. And Tom Zeta, I think the pace made it unusual, but I think Code of Honor probably should have shown us a little bit more. I'm disappointed with uh, uh, with his effort. No, excuse, I don't see any excuses for him outside of you know you could argue maybe the slower pace, but I still think he should have probably come home a little bit stronger. For me, this was such a weird race because everyone just I seem to forget that Tom Zeta had even stumbled at the break and had such a poor break because as soon as the race was over, they were ready to anoint you know. Maximum security is the new top older horse again. I'm like, but doesn't this like doesn't this guy get a freebie? We're willing to give so many freebies to all these other horses, and now all of a sudden everyone's just so ready to just toss this horse, you know, by the wayside. I think if anyone has a shot to overtake him, it would be improbable. Now he's got two Grade Ones on the year. Tom's the top for how good he's been. He's only raced twice so far this year. This was his third start, and he had a uh, listed stake win at Oakland, and he, and he won a Grade Two on a slow pace. So maybe Tom Zeta as well was maybe a little bit overhyped as well, but I, I can see a horse like Improbable for what everyone says being the black sheep and no, no one really knowing what to do with it. This horse now, I think for sure, has to be in the top three for the older division. I think that's right. I, I think I think he would still go Improbable, you know, some version of Improbable Tom Zeta to maximum security. I mean, luckily, these horses will battle it out, you know, in racing in the future. But I think in terms of voting. Um, you know, I, I think it's a tough call, like whether you give Max the belt right now or whether you give it to Improbable. You know, I, I think that times they tie, you know, should get somewhat of a free pass, but, you know, still ultimately finished third. And so, you know, he made his own, he's the one that stumbled out of the gate. And so, um, and so, you know, I'd probably move him a little bit back in the voting if I had a vote. I, I think that, you know, I think the voting itself is somewhat silly. Um, the most silly being the fact that, that Midnight BC was was ranked fifth, mm-hmm. right? And um, and uh, you know, despite the fact that she ran maybe one of the biggest numbers of career uh, in the um, uh, in the personal ranking, is, is now you know should be out of the top ten. I mean, she's not even number one in her own own division, and that's my little girl. So um, yeah, again, it's hard to draw a conclusion from this race going forward. Who do I want out of this race? Well, I probably don't want Code of Honor going long anymore. Um, I don't know if these horses will go to the Woodward. I believe the Woodward has been stretched to a mile and a quarter. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's going to be right in Tacitus' wheelhouse. 
I think Tom Zeta, you know, probably comes back to Kentucky and runs in the Alley Sheba. Um, even though it's not a grade one, their whole focus has been, you know, a way to get them to the Breeders' Cup Classic. This season's all about the Breeders' Cup Classic, and so they're not, you know, they don't, they have their grade ones. They're not worried about matching more grade ones, and so they're going to go. I would guess they run in Kentucky next. Um, be curious to see what Baffert does with him. Pumble. You know, he w- did win the Gold Cup um, during a mile and a quarter, but City Zip just doesn't strike me as mile and a quarter, so I don't know if they'll go come back to the Woodward. And, um, yeah, I'm just wanting to say cut back Code of Honor. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see where they will go by my standard Kentucky-based. My guess is uh, Alex Sheba as well for him. Again, it'll be interesting to see um, where these horses go. But, that, but that's... Uh, that would be what I would guess is that we'll see a lot of them back in the Kentucky horses, back in the Ali Sheba, maybe in Pablo stays West um, for the Pacific classic. And, uh, um, you know, I don't, I don't know about Cody Bono. I wonder what they're going to do with him. Let's jump from what everyone's favorite division is with these classic horses to my favorite division with the sprinters race. Number 10 at Saratoga going seven furlongs on the dirt. It was the grade one H Allen, Jerkins, there's just something about when a horse can just throw down and go 21 and change, 44, and just keep going as fast as possible and just get these freakishly big speed figures. What were your thoughts going into this race, Marshall? Well, I love Echo Town, and, uh, um, you know, I was sort of cursing myself. Uh, I had planned to play an improbable into Echo Town double, but the board scared me quite a bit. And so I didn't do it for my contest, and the result of my giant double, I'm sorry, as a result of my giant exactly, which did not come in, I was down to $460. Wow. And so, um, and so at this point I had to sort of figure out how to get back. If I had taken Echo Town to win, uh, Echo Town projected to about six and a half to one, um, early in the betting was eight or nine to one. I would have gotten about 3,600. Wouldn't have been enough to, to sort of, you know, put myself in a position to win. So in the contest, I had to bet 10 races. I could not bet the 11th. I had dot matrix going the 11th. And the 12th is a turf sprint. I had no clue <laughs> how to bet that turf sprint. So I needed to get things done now. I wanted to be, in this contest, I wanted to get to my total. Um, you know, my initial total I thought I would want to get was about $10,000. I thought that would get me a BCBC steep and give me a good shot of winning. And so um, I went backwards most of the day. Even though we had to pay $250 and an often punt by playing $250 to show, I was missing my show bets. So my totals kept going backwards <laughs> all day. And then, uh, obviously, I took the giant hit when Tom Feta uh, was beaten in the last one. So I got to this race of $460. I couldn't bet Echo Town to win. Um, I ended up doing a weighted exactly with Echo Town over um, No Parole. Uh, Liam's Pride tapped it to win. Um, and I had another horse in there, um, and shoplifted. So I had a weighted exact, uh, no, sorry. I had a weighted exact, and no, um, Echo Town of a mischievous Alex, no parole, um, Liam's pride and Catholic to win. Um, uh, since I, I, the win bet wouldn't do enough. I, with my weighted exact, I thought would get me about six grand. Now, why did I like Echo Town? Um, you know, I'd seen this horse a bunch at Oakland. He's always shown a ton of speed, uh, a ton of fight in him. Uh, you know, I thought the bachelor was, uh, you know, a big effort to lose the long weekend. Um, you know, I liked his allowance race win down there. I thought he was, uh, again, very good in his allowance win at Churchill Downs. 
but always been a horse who's been up on the lead, always fighting on the lead, always showing a ton of heart up front. And so going to the Woody Stevens, when I was handicapping the Woody Stevens, I thought Echo Town would go with no parole. I thought they would, they would, uh, um, you know, uh, basically damage each other and shoplifted would, would, would pass them both for the win. Um, and instead, Echo, uh, no parole just got the jump on the whole field and put them all away. And Echo Town was, um, just surprisingly at the back of the pack and ended up having the pass horses at the end. And I thought just ran really impressively for kind of being taken out of his game. So again, I, you know, I thought he'd be close and stalking, um, or either dueling or stalking. And instead, he was, you know, behind other horses. And, uh, you know, I thought, uh, uh, you know, made a nice late run in the Woody Stevens. And so, uh, you know, kind of, you know, horse showing a new dimension to him. I knew that there's, you know, there's little chance that no pro was going to get the jump on this field like he did in the Woody Stevens. I thought someone would go with him. I thought it was just one of those deals where people would see what happened and there are enough horses in this race that, that, that um, he was going to be under a lot more pressure. And so, um, you know, I thought that Echo Town, showing that new dimension, might be able to sit mid-pack and make a, a big move. I was probably most worried about Tappet to win on the big cutback for, for Mark Cassie coming out of Belmont Stakes. I actually used Tappet to win under um, – uh, under uh, uh, Tisa Law in the Belmont, and uh, you know, I, you know, I thought that you know, again, that the breeding worked. But I, I think that uh, uh, you know, he'd run so impressively in that one-turn mile sixteenth race at Belmont that uh, you know he might cut back and and and, and prove to be a, a one-turn horse. Even with the classic showing a lot of stamina, he does have a, you know a good number of horses who've been very effective at uh, one-turn mile at seven furlongs, and so. Um, so that was probably the horse I was most afraid of. Uh, I still respected no pro. I still could map out a scenario in my mind where, where he would, you know, wire the field or, or be running up front uh, and, and hopefully pass by um, Echo Town late. And then I thought, you know, again, mischievous Alec second off the layoff was interesting. And I thought that there was a chance that Liam's pride, um, you know, might be the, the sort of, uh, uh, you know, Big closer, big fuzzy coming from out of the clouds to uh, um, to uh, um, you know pick up a late second. So that's that's how I approach betting the race. It, it, for me, it, it was a deep field. It was a fun field. You know, we talk about the number two eight rings. It's it's been a while since you know everyone talks Derby Trail and how everyone just goes kind of stir crazy. This horse was one of the favorites back as a two year old. Obviously, now they're off the trail and they're trying to turn this horse into a sprinter. Uh, Echo Town, I've always loved slowly improving better and better every single race. This is one of the first horses I circled as a contender. I just, the one thing for me, it just seemed like a lot of speed. Mischievous Alex was going to be one of those horses that could go up to the front. And this horse after winning the Gotham might just have been pretty much a, not an overplay, but just everyone seems so hyped on the horse. No parole, obviously winning the grade one Woody Stevens last time out by such a, in such a dominating fashion. Uh, could be dangerous, but back-to-back really big buyers I thought had a possibility of bouncing. The two horses I ended up on were the number seven, Choplifted, and the number eight, Three Technique, just horses that I thought would come off the pace. We've seen how fast these races get in New York where they just all of a sudden the horse comes out of the clouds. Uh, Hog Creek Hustle, for example, to win some of those races. And I just didn't know exactly what was going to happen pace-wise, but I knew with a lot of speed that the closers were going to have a possible good chance in this. 
Tap it to win. I just think the time to have him was when he won by five in that mile in a 16th race. I don't know 100% sure if he is going to be that really good six or seven furlong horse. I think he is going to be better at a mile and a mile and a 16th. So I was hard passing on him here. When you looked at it from a pace perspective, did you see that there was a lot of speed or were you just comfortable taking that little uh, stalker in the race? Well, I, you know, I thought there was still a chance no pole would, was going to clear. I, it wasn't, you know, there didn't seem immediately like anyone who would necessarily go with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily think that uh, eight rings was fast enough to go with him. Um, and I, I thought the eight rings placement was very unusual. It seemed like a backward move. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he wasn't, I, I was going to have no part of him. Um, and I thought the mischievous Alex, the rider change from Carmouche, who's very aggressive, to Irad, who might take more of a hold. I thought that horse, you know, one of the reasons I use that horse is I thought that horse might get more of a stalking trip uh, and uh, um, might get more of a stalking trip and be in a position to, to get no pro. I just thought there was very little chance that no pro was going to get the scenario that he had in the Woody Stevens, where he got uncontested. You know, got loose, just put everybody away. I didn't see that. So, you know, I didn't know who exactly would go with him, but I felt like, you know, everyone had seen that race. Everyone had talked about that race. And uh, um, and there was a little chance he was going to get free this time. I was, I was just very hopeful that one of these 11 horses was going to uh, um, end up end up going um, going with him early. Um, you know, he still, I mean, he got a, he got a length clear. Right, but uh, wasn't able to clear any more than that and was quickly under pressure. Let's see if Marshall can get his key exact to home for the day or if I can get shoplifted at 18-1 to 1 closing here in the H. Allen Jerkins right now. And they're off in the Allen Jerkins stakes. Presented by Run Happy. And no parole is right out for the lead. Tap it to win on the outside. Running in second, Liam Spride is close up in third. And down on the inside, eight rings now advances from fourth. Mischievous Alex is next in fifth. Echo Town is sixth. Hopeful Treasure at the rail runs in seventh. And it's Captain Bombastic in eighth. A gap of almost five. Back to Shoplifted in ninth. At the back of the pack are Sonneman and Three Technique. The opening quarter, 22 and three-fifth seconds, and it is no parole. The leader here by three-quarters of a length. Mischievous Alex on the outside runs in second. Tap it to win. Now advances into third. Eight rings down at the rail. Runs in fourth. Echo Town is now gaining ground in between horses and moving up from fifth. As the field races midway on the turn, the half in 45 and one. It is no parole. Mischievous Alex and tap it to win. Echo Town is in fourth. On the outside is Captain Bombastic. Then shoplifted and eight rings. The field is in the stretch. No parole is all out. Mischievous Alex is there. Here is Tappa to win on the outside. Echo Town is still in with a chance. And on the far outside, it is shoplifted. There's a 16th to the finish. And here's Echo Town now to take over. And Echo Town is drawing away in the stretch. Echo Town wins the Allen Jerkin Stakes, presented by Run Happy. And the number four, Echo Town, gets it done, paying sixteen forty with a ninety-three buyer. Great price and great exact to Marshall. This is the play that kind of got you ahead in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I, you know, I felt pretty good the whole race when he tipped to the outside, and, and you know, I thought he might flatten out, but he kept coming and and ran, uh, um, you know, ran a big effort. Now, oddly enough, this ninety-three buyer was not 
particularly fast. I mean, so he paired up numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, he paired up numbers, and uh, and uh, you know, quite a number of them regressed quite a bit. So it was a little bit faster on time form US. It was a a one eighteen. They definitely had the fractions coded red. So you know, got a great trip. Um, and, uh, you know, traffic to win, uh, held off shoplifted. I did not have a, a dime on shoplifted, despite the fact that I used him heavily in the Woody Stevens, uh, didn't have a dime on him here. So that would have been uh, a tragic, uh, for, for me, but, uh, but yeah, hit the exact, uh, um, and, uh, uh got back, uh, $6,100 and that put me into first place into the contest. For me, which is basically, uh, I was basically done at this point because I wasn't going to bet the, um, I wasn't, I could not bet the Bowling Green with that matrix in there, and then I hadn't really planned on betting the 12th. I ended up, uh, I ended up finishing second. Um, uh, someone uh, uh, got past me, and then someone finished with 10 grand and got past me in the last race. I'm kind of glad I barely bet the last race, and I'm kind of glad uh, I didn't because there was just there's no chance I was going to bet what I needed to get to 10,000. So. The second place is good. I got I got a little bit of cash. I got a British Cup betting challenge seat, and so it was good. And I owe it all to uh, Echo Town and to um, Ricardo um, for that uh, you know nice patient ride and uh, strong sick home. Um, the horse uh, again finished uh, finished very well, and um, uh, I, you know I don't know what kind of future he has, but. Uh, you know, um, uh, finished very well. Uh, the only one in that race finishing, uh, you know, finishing in under 25 seconds for the final quarter. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it's interesting that you brought up the paired, uh, numbers of 93. Do you think that this then is kind of a race where he was just the best of the rest? And because everyone else regressed, maybe Echo Town is only a mid 90 buyer horse. He'll never be able to eclipse that triple digit. Cause obviously no parole, for uh, some reason, ended up with a 63, just didn't have it today. Maybe those two back-to-back races were just too much on him. And you have horses, you know, tap it to win, proving me wrong, being that possible strong one-turn type horse, shoplifting coming with his normal run at the end, horses like Captain Bombastic and Sonneman splitting the field at 28-64-1. to Maybe this is a race that, for how good the Woody Stevens was that people were saying, this race might be downgraded now with, when you're looking for horses to back out of it. Maybe. I mean, you know, I don't know totally what to make of it. I mean, do I think Echo Town is a Breeders' Cup sprint contender? No, probably not. Um, uh, you know, I, I just, again, the, 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 pace, the, the pace scenario probably, you know, did unusual things to this race and so it wasn't necessarily run true to form, so that may have brought the numbers down. But there's no one out of this race that I would be excited to bet back when they presumably face older, right? So uh, I, I just don't, you know, I guess, you know, I don't know what their options are now for the rest of the year. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if there are any three-year-old one-turn races left. And I know that our three-year-old two-turn races are sort of restricted to the, the derby and the and the preakness. I just, the uh, races like the... Uh, um, you know, race like the Pennsylvania Derby aren't happening. I guess the um, Pat Day Mile mm-hmm. probably still is being carded, so you could see a lot of these horses in the Pat Day Mile. So, um, uh, so again, I think that so if that's a race where a lot of these horses are going out, I guess Echo Town, um, Shoplifted, Sonam, and the three Atkinsons ran really well. Um, uh, you know, that's maybe a place to look at them. I don't 
I don't know how good this division is. You know, they ran a 93 here. They ran the Bing Crosby uh, um, uh, um, at Del Mar, which got a 93, which is also won by a three-year-old, I believe. Um, and so, uh, um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if any of these horses, uh, I, 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 you know, obviously I think Vacoma would destroy these horses. Uh, um, so I, I don't, um, I don't know what kind of future they have, but, uh, but maybe they can be nice four-year-olds. And I think the only horse to really challenge Vacoma for maybe top sprints would be, uh, volatile. Probably the only one that really comes to mind for me right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, it does. You know, a different topic. It's interesting to think about where where they will go with the coma, whether you know they'll turn them back to six furlongs, or where they'll mm-hmm. go the two-turn mile at Keeling for the Breeders' Cup mile. But, I mean, those are you know those are two nice horses, and they're significantly faster than this group of horses. And so, um, for this time of year, for August first, um, yeah, I'd have liked to have seen one of these horses crack a hundred. But again, you you can look at look at the Bing Crossing. It's a Grade One race. Um, open grade one for older three-year-olds and up, and it ran in the 93. So I'm pretty sure that Bing Crosby was the slowest grade one dirt sprint that was open to older uh, that's been uh, been run um, in, uh, since they've been doing violence. I'd be surprised if there were any slower race that was an open, open older race um, than the Bing Crosby was. We'll have to do some backup research and check that out. That is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank my special guest, Marshall Graham. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you on social media for all the cool stuff you talk about with Handle, et cetera, and with the ownership group as well? Well, um, uh, you know, again, I'm, uh, Clay Sanders and I are founding partners of 10 Strike Racing, so we can be found, uh, 10 Strike Racing can be found at, at 10 Strike Racing. Um, we should have some Saratoga runners to keep an eye out on. We've got critical value who run an allowance race and then and likely run the Fleet Indian. Uh, Lucky Move will run the Shoe V. Dot Matrix will probably run back in the West Point. I've got a first name Category 1 um, after my buddy Pat Cummings. Uh, not a first name, but in New York, he's making his second start. Pretty excited about it. And then we've got Warriors Charge, who will likely go in the Alley Sheba next. And we've got some good two-year-olds. We've got a good two-year-old named Swill, who, uh, who should be running next at Saratoga. Ran second first out at Keeneland. So I'd keep an eye on him, and, and, and uh, he's doing well, and it might be worth a bet uh, when he runs. Uh, so we've got a bunch of runners across the country keeping an eye out for our horses. We're at 10 Strike Racing on Twitter, um, and then uh, I can be found at Trucks and Stables. I've never updated my uh, uh, my user ID from my original uh, 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 syndicate. So I'm at Trucks and Stables on social media, and uh, I, mean, I usually tweet about the economics and business of racing i'm an economics professor at Rhodes college and so um so you know that's usually what i what i tweet about um when i do so uh again um i appreciate you having me on it was fun going through the races and um uh going back to saturday's car thank you so much marshall guys one of the best follows out there on twitter go check him out just wanted to say a special thank you to all the great listeners out there and to my special guest marshall graham this show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from all-